We need one of those. Thank you. We got with us this morning uh, Paul Trochel and Debbie, which is more important than Paul by far. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I asked Paul to come. He said, "Hold on a minute, I got to call Debbie." So I said, "Okay, gotcha." They're leaving here as soon as church is over. Headed to Tulsa to another meeting, and uh, Paul built a, a very nice, large actually church in Magnolia, Arkansas. And then he went and spent 18 years in Africa. Well, he went to work for Billy, he went to work for Billy Joe Daugherty for a while, and then he went to to build a Bible school in Africa, in Arusha, Tanzania. And they've completed it. And how many how many students have graduate this year? 76. But total was almost 1,200. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, 1,200. Um, and so he finished that, and God's given him a new assignment. And um, and we're gonna, you're gonna be a part of that. Um, but um, I'm not gonna talk anymore. I'm, I'm just gonna let him have it. Everybody went, yay! <laughs> but anyway, Paul, yep. Would y'all stand, please? Thank you. Hallelujah! Give the Lord praise. Come on, give the Lord praise. You, you know, whatever you, wait, hang on. Whatever you clap for man, you better clap double for Jesus at least. Come on, let's give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Well, golly, this thing is heavy. That thing is heavy, man. Uh, this happens all the time. And uh, so, Miss Ginger... Just prophesied my whole message. She just prophesied my message. Uh, I'm preaching on an open invitation. Isaiah 6. Let's turn to Isaiah 6. And uh, it's been 19 years. 19 years in Tanzania. And what's, what's happened with me is every time... That the Lord has allowed me to be blessed with success at a certain place. He's waited until it was just the most successful it had, it had ever been. And then he says, now I want you to walk away from it. And I want you to leave it. When I left Magnolia Christian Center, he said, I want you to offer up Isaac. Give me Isaac on the altar and I'll raise him up. Because I couldn't imagine my life being any more blessed than what it was in Magnolia, Arkansas, pastoring those people. I love those people. I love pastoring. Some people say it's a horrible gig. I don't think so. I, I love this. I love the local church. I love, I love it. I love people. I love helping people, lifting people. I love preaching the word of God. I mean, you know, something you were born to do. Your passion. They say if you ever locate your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. You know, Mark Twain says the two greatest days in your life is the day you were born and the second day when you find out why. I found out why real early. I found out why when I was 17. And when I was 18 years old, I pulled this sweet blonde aside and I said, because uh, I could see where our relationship was headed and I felt like she was the one. And at 18 years old, I pulled her aside and said, listen, 
I don't have plan B. I've only got plan A. I have nothing to go back to. I'm going to serve God all the days of my life. Then I'm going to pastor. And I don't know how long I'm going to pastor, but it may be a while. And after I pastor, I'm going to go to the mission field. And I'm going to be a missionary, 18 years old. You can, do, you can, know, you can know the plan of God. You don't have to waste your years being an idiot. You don't have to find out the hard way that, that the, the stove is hot and you don't have to put your hand on it. It doesn't have to be born. You don't have to lose your virginity. You don't have to get on drugs. You don't have to destroy your body uh, with alcohol. You don't have to have a car wreck and total your before. You can hear from God. Jesus, 12 years old, said, I must be about my father's business. How can you be about something you don't know? You can be 12 years old and know the plan of God for your life. Praise the Lord. And the good news is it's never too late to find out. You say, well, I'm too old. No, it's never too old to find out. Now's the time to start over. Thank God for new years. Thank God for new seasons. You know what? New seasons are God's way of saying you can start over. Can you say amen? And so this is what happened in Tanzania. I mean, we've graduated thousands and they're all over the nation. And no matter what Islam does in Tanzania or in East Africa, they'll never be able to root out the gospel. The gospel is in the leaders. Now, before I get started, praise the Lord, I just have to share a couple of things. Velma Hankins. None of you know who that is. Velma Hankins was an Assembly of God pastor's wife who lost her mind. And uh, had a nervous breakdown. They didn't know what to call them back then in the, in the 50s. And they weren't sure about nervous breakdowns. But she had a nervous breakdown. And she was confined to the back room of their little shotgun house. And there was Pastor B.B. Hankins raising uh, three sons and a girl. And the mama can't do a thing. And he's pastoring a little Assembly God church. And someone came through. F.E. Ward, some of you don't know who that is, doesn't matter. He's a prophet and introduced Pastor Hankins to what was called the Word of Faith Ministry, learning to speak to the mountains and learning to speak the Word of God. And he got back there with his sweet, sweet wife, and uh, he started speaking the Word to her. And the darkness was so strong in that room, he just had to do it week after week and month after month. And lo and behold, after a few months of doing that, she sat up in the bed and she started speaking the word. And what happened in a few months of her speaking the word is she came out of that back bedroom like a lioness. She got to church and the spirit of God started moving and she was on the front row and there was Mark Hankins, her son, who was totally embarrassed to be a part of a full gospel church where people spoke in tongues. And then he said, uh, he said, it's mama's first Sunday back at church. He's watching her. And she started going, ooh, ooh, glory to God. Ooh, glory to God. He said, then she took off and started running. <laughs> and she ran around the church. Now, she had never done that before. And nobody knew what to think about it because nobody had ever run around the church before, let alone the little conservative pastor's wife who had had a nervous breakdown. But there she was, and she took off running. Well, there was another sister whoop whoop there. She got all fired up, and she started chasing her. 
And boy, they were through. One of the board members got up. He's dancing like an Indian. And he started dancing like an Indian. And he chased them all around. Mark said he wanted to dig a hole all the way to China because he was so embarrassed. Now, B.B., the, the, the pastor of the church and her husband, who was ultra conservative, got up to the pulpit. And this is how he explained what was happening that morning. He said, well, a lot of people might say, is all that necessary? He said, the only thing I can tell you is, it's not necessary unless it is necessary. And then it's necessary. <laughs> he said, the truth is, most of you don't know where she came from and what she's come out of. But if you understood the pit that God brought her out, you might be a running too. Now, whatever part of the gospel you're ashamed of won't work for you. The gospel is the power of God. Whatever part of the gospel you're ashamed of won't work for you. I was in a, I was in a restaurant recently, and I went up to, the, to, to pay, and there was an older lady in front of me, and she had a big old heavy set of keys, you know, and one of those big old purses looked like she could kill somebody with. And uh, when she put the purse up on the counter to pay her bill, she went, ooh, like that. I said, and she's an older grandma. And uh, so I said, what's wrong, mama? She said, my back. I've got to have surgery. I said, I've got something for that. She said, what you got? I laid my hands on her. I said, in the name of Jesus. And I prayed out loud right there in front of God and everybody. And she dropped her keys, went bang on that glass counter. She said, oh, put her hands up. She said, I got something. <laughs> See, whatever part of the gospel you're ashamed of you're, won't work for you. If you're ashamed of healing, it won't work for you. You're ashamed of praise and worship. You're ashamed of how, how people here shout and dance and scream and holler. Well, then it won't work for you. You just got to get over it. Why? It's not necessary unless it is. Now, listen to me. I'm praying and things are changing in my life. We've been to, I've been to 19 different nations, but now the, the last year, which is really strange, been 19 years in Tanzania. We started with 76 students. We ended with 76. That's never happened. You always lose a tenth of the amount of students that come. And these are on campus, so it's more intensive. The training is more intensive. God bless us with one of the greatest years we've ever had. I'd be teaching, preaching the Spirit of God fall. We get up and pray, pray in the Spirit for an hour and a half. You think you prayed 15 minutes. Look up at the clock. You prayed an hour and a half. Heaven came down. And a lot of people are wondering, what in the world are Paul and Debbie Trochel doing? Well, we've been processing this transition now for two years in prayer. So it's not a new, nothing new to us. It's something God has been speaking to us. We've had visitations from God. Now, here lately, things have been changing again. Whereas I used to go in and I would have... You know, I would have a good message, kind of like a pastoral message. and I, Because in my heart of hearts, that's really what I am, a pastor. But here lately, things are changing. And I have to tell you, I'm not comfortable with it. <laughs> I would venture to say I really don't like it that much. 
But then God didn't ask me my opinion. It's amazing. He's never asked me my opinion about what I thought he was doing in my life. He just said, this is what I want you to do. And I think, you know, after being in 19 different countries, I can tell you, governments affect, the government you're raised under affects how you think. You, don't, you may not understand that until you get out and travel in different nations and you see how the culture of the government of that nation affects how people think. And people in America think that in Christianity, their vote counts. Because I'm American. By God. I asked a boy in Magnolia, a big old cowboy in Magnolia. I was down at the square and, uh, you know, he's in shoebox and we were buying shoes he was buying a pair of boots and i asked him where are you from texas i said are you a christian he said i'm american by god <laughs> really that makes you a christian you're an american you're from texas you're automatically saved <laughs> you know the way people are raised affects how they think and the government that you're raised under affects how you think and Americans think in the kingdom of God, my opinion matters. I get to vote. No, you don't. You don't. It's not like Jesus up there going, you know, Father, we need to go down there and ask Paul what he thinks. They don't care. They know more than you. And you know, they know what's best for your life better than you know. They know what will fulfill you more than you know. I was scared to death that when I became a preacher, I said, Oh God, please don't have me marry somebody ugly. <laughs> I mean, all the preacher's wives I knew back then, they were so ugly. <laughs> I was so scared. I was so scared. You know, hey, I'm the will of God, you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I'm just being honest, you know, come on. Nobody wants to, uh, I'm going to obey God no matter what. Ooh, marry her. Ooh. No, God fulfilled my heart's desire greater, greater than I ever thought. I, I, come on, is this side okay? Because this side's laughing and y'all are just nothing. Y'all are here this morning? No, okay, all right. Now, this is what's been happening lately. I've been seeing things more. Seeing things in the Spirit. Now, let me tell you the truth about it. After pastoring, for, after being in ministry 41 years now, people that see things all the time and hear things all the time make me nervous. I tend to think they're flaky. You know, God's, God's speaking to me. God's speaking. You know, they're having these hour-long dialogues with God. I wonder about people like that. I do. I question. And I'm not saying God doesn't speak to me. I'm not saying that. I'm saying most of the time when He speaks to me, it's not... Let me, let me give you an example. Most of the time when God speaks to me, it's, it's like this. It's like this. Paul, don't. Here comes another one. Paul, I get this a lot. Shut up. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's it. That's the extent of it. 
But here lately, praying, I started, I started seeing stuff. Now, what I saw at the beginning of this year in prayer, just praying, it's like I was at the throne of God, and God was there, and God, and all of a sudden around the throne, I know this is going to sound weird or goofy or whatever, came up question marks, question marks. Question marks. All these question marks. By the millions question marks. And it's like the Lord went. Like that. And when he did. All the question marks. Went out over. The world. To churches. And they. Elevated themselves and floated. Above the churches. And I said Lord. Can you explain that? Yes. I'm given an open invitation. Times have changed. Everything has changed. The pressure of the Antichrist spirit has been loosed in the world and it's magnified now. And this pressure is going to push people into the presence of God or it's going to push people out. It's going to push people into the will of God or it's going to press them out. And every individual and every church has to make a decision. In other words, you cannot be an average Christian anymore. There really is no such thing. A tame lion is an unnatural lion. I read the story of a girl in Africa who befriended a lion, a lioness. And she raised that lioness. And her smart uncle kept telling her from the beginning, Sweetheart, a tame lion is an unnatural lion. And they were best friends her whole life. And she raised that cub. And she was like that cub's mother. Until one day, that lioness turned and killed her and ate her. Why? A tame lion is an unnatural lion. A tame Christian is an unnatural Christian. You're not supposed to be normal. Now, in Isaiah 6, let's read this. Isaiah chapter 6. This gets to what I call the open invitation that I was talking about. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6 verse 1, I saw the Lord. Can I rephrase that? In the year that all my political hopes died, I saw the Lord. Do you know there's nothing you need now more than anything, more than an encounter with the living God. Now, I, I, I used to shy away from this. I used to be, you know, I'm a word man, and, 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 I, and I am a word man. And every, every experience you have, no matter what it is, you need to judge it by the Word of God. I had a lady come to the church, and her and her husband uh, visited the church, and I went out to see them. And I said, you know, uh, you know, how you doing? Welcome to the church. She said, well, I heard y'all, you know, y'all embrace the supernatural. I want to see what you're all about. 
She said, something's been happening in my life. I said, what is it? She said, my dead uncle's been appearing to me every night. And he walks in my bedroom, lays hands on my head and talks about my life. I said, what does that experience do for you? She said, it scares me to death. I said, it's not God. She got, ba- she got mad at me, never came back to the church. I told her, that wasn't your uncle, that's a familiar spirit. You need to judge that by the word of God. God's not sending your dead uncle or dead anybody to talk to you. God's got the Holy Spirit and he's alive and he don't need anybody else. So you need to judge all your experiences, dreams. I have so many Africans come to me and they they say, oh, and they go into this big, long, elaborate dream and it's just a bunch of gobbledygook and they want me to tell them what it means. And I tell them what this means is at 1130 at night, you don't need to eat leftover ugali. That's what this dream means. If God gives you a dream or a vision, He can explain it. If it's not easily explained, if it's not clear, put it on a shelf and don't worry about it. But it doesn't matter what happens, you got to judge that by the Word of God. Having said that, we need an encounter with God. I had a head-on collision at 17 years old with the love of God. God put a hook in my jaw at 17. In 30 seconds, my whole life changed. And I knew it. There is no getting away from it. It was so real and so powerful. And it's still with me today. And it's still in my jaw. And I will follow Him my whole life. You need an encounter with God. It's not just for preachers. It's for anybody who's anybody hungry, anybody thirsty. Come on. God is sending out questions all over the United States. And he's asking pastors and he's asking churches, are you hungry enough? Jesus was at the feast and he couldn't take any more religion. And he cried out in the middle of the feast, Is anybody thirsty? Let them come to me. You're doing a ritual. And I'm standing right here. And I've got what you need. Come on, God's got what I need. God's got what I need. Now, Isaiah, follow me. In Isaiah, he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, what? let's read it. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, he didn't fall off the throne because Uzziah died and did not get reelected. Let's move on. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. Two, he flew, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy. Oh, is the Lord of hosts. Can you imagine? 24-7, these, these beings are flying around the throne of God. By choice, not by force. They're not forced to. And they cry, holy, holy, holy. Calling to each other. The whole earth is full of His glory. You say, well, why is that necessary? Well, it's not unless it is. And when you meet God face to face, listen, something's going to happen. Something's going to give. When you have an encounter with God, a real encounter, 
I've had people tell me about their, their encounters with God. And I, I stand in, I have to be honest, I stand in doubt of what some people say. I had this experience. Well, first of all, if it doesn't line up with the word and character of God, I don't receive it. But, but some, some of it doesn't sound like what happens in the Bible when people really meet God face to face. And listen, let's, let's read on. What, what, what always happens when you come into an encounter and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him cr- who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. Now, it's not smoke like a smoke fire. This is literally the glory of God. The glory of God. It's a cloud. So I said, so I said, woe is me for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So what happens when you come into a real encounter with God is you realize what you're not. You stand in perfect light, and you get to see the contrast between He and you. When Peter saw what Jesus did with the multitude of fishes. He saw that miracle. It was undeniable. He turned to Jesus. What's the first thing he said? Great catch? Wow. Never seen that before? No. He realized who he was. And in a very instant, he realized who he wasn't. And what did he say? Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Why? He's having a real encounter with God. Now, a lot of times today, if you talk like this in churches, people will get all upset. People say, oh, no, my little precious Jesus, if he met with me, all he'd do for an hour is tell me how wonderful I am. <laughs> you go, I'm telling you, people are so, listen, people are so sloppy on the grace and love of God. They think God's okay with them living in adultery. They think God's okay with them living in fornication. They think God's okay with their pornography. God's okay with... No, he's, he's not. He's not. His grace doesn't say okay to your sin. His grace will love you out of your sin and love you while you're in your sin, but His grace does not love your sin. Can you say amen? Say amen or oh me. But I mean, when you have a face-to-face encounter with God, what you're not is going to be contrasted with who He is. And it's not in a condemning way, but let me just tell you something I found out about God. If there's something holding you back, He's going to put His finger on it. He will absolutely touch the very thing you don't want Him to touch and talk to you about the very thing you don't want Him to talk about. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, What commandments did I do? He said, you know, the, you know the Bible. Obey your father and mother. You know, Jesus quoted. And the young guy said, I've done all that since, I'm a, since I was a young person. Jesus said, yeah, you like one thing. Sell everything you got and give it to the poor. Come and follow me. What did Jesus do? I'm going to touch the very thing that's got you held back. It's your love of money. The Bible says the rich young ruler went away full of sorrow because he loved his money. He had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, and Jesus pointed his finger at the only thing that was stopping him from going to another level. And he didn't deal with it. Now, when I was a pastor, I've told this story before, 
But how many like my stories? I tell stories now. And I hope people have enough sense to figure out later what I was meaning. Listen, when I was young, my brothers and I were all three years apart. And we were super competitive. And my dad created an atmosphere of competitiveness in our house. We were allowed to fight. We were almost encouraged to fight. So my mother, she, she had a Ph.D. in fried chicken. I'm telling you, the woman could fry chicken like you would not believe. Now, we would get in a fight over the chicken liver. I'm talking about knocked down, bloody nose, you know, uh, light in the living room tore down, you know, swinging and catching it. and Lamps busted, holes in the wall over chicken liver. So my mom got so mad one day, she went to Piggly Wiggly and bought a whole thing of chicken liver. Nothing but chicken liver. We didn't know they sold it like that. <laughs> so she comes in, she's got this big thing of chicken liver. She fries it all up. She calls us in the kitchen and she just drills us. All right, you're tearing the whole house up over one piece of chicken liver. There's a whole plate. Expect you to eat it. She walks out. We go, we go back to playing. Two hours later, she comes back in. Not one piece of chicken liver. Not one piece of chicken liver has been taken. Man, she hit the roof. She called us all back in. She's, she's a, you know, you do this, you fight, you bloody each other's nose, and you tear the house, and I got a whole plate, and nobody's touched it. What? What's going on? I raised my hand and said, Mama, we don't like chicken liver. What? We just like to fight. I don't like chicken liver. I just want to win. Now listen to me. That spirit was in me. That spirit was in me. And I got saved. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was pastoring. And our little bitty church, our little bitty poor little church started growing and started filling up with people. The parking lot started filling up. But one day I was in the church and I was praying. I felt so holy and anointed because I had prayed an hour. Guess what I prayed for? Prayed for me. I prayed for my family, and I prayed for that church. And I prayed for a whole hour over me, my family, and my church. So stupid to think it's my church. And so, it's one of those times I saw something, and this is what I saw. I saw the Lord put his hand out just like this. And he said, now, I've blessed you this far, and I can't bless you anymore. What do you mean you can't bless me anymore? He said, you've hit the ceiling on how much I can bless you because of that thing you have in your heart. When he said that, he didn't have to explain. I knew what he meant. When Magnolia Christian Center was growing, oh, I was happy. But when my neighbor's church was growing, when my fellow pastor's church was growing, I was mad. Our church is more holy than him. Our people are better than him. I'm a better preacher than he is. How come you're blessing that church? And I tell you what, I walked around in depression if I found out more people got saved at another church than they did at MCC. Now, I know that's horrible. That's awful. But that was there. And you know what the Lord said? You're right here. So you know what I did? I bellered and squalled for another three hours. Tell the Lord how wrong he was. Guess what? 
It didn't work. He quit talking to me. His presence absolutely left me. I, I stayed in my case. You know, I just want what I want for the kingdom of God. No, I didn't. I wanted what I wanted because it made us look good. And it was pride. It was nothing but pride. And so God broke me down into a million pieces. And I was broken. And I saw myself for what I was. And it was not good. And I repented. What would you do? Well, I started, I started stopping gossip. When people would gossip about other churches and other preachers in the church, I would stop it and say, we're not going to have that here. I got the people up on Sunday morning. I don't know if y'all caught what she did. She got up and prayed for all the churches in Minden. That's a good spirit. When you're praying for all the churches. So this is what happened. Just like Isaiah. I was born in a messed up childhood. Let me tell you, I can't even go into detail about how messed it was. My first part of my life was on survival. And here's the three stages of a person's life. Most of the time, people that come to God, first of all, the first stage is just survival. You know why I got saved? I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. It's not a bad thing. It's not the worst thing in the world to get saved because you don't want to go to hell. But let me just tell you this. If you stay in that mode of just coming to church for what's in it for me, what can I get out of it? That's, that's where things are changing. Listen to me. Things are changing. You've got to get out of the me mode. And we got to, we got to go to another level, church. Why? It's this right here. It's God's hand over churches right now saying, I've blessed you this far, but we're not playing games anymore. You want more of me? You've got to make some changes. I asked the Lord, please don't let me preach this because this is way. <laughs> you know what people want nowadays? They want sugar plum. They want ice cream. They want cake. They want some preacher to stand up and tell them how wonderful they are for at the max 25 to 30 minutes. God's looking for unusual churches. God's looking for more. What are the three stages of a person's life? You can write it down. One is survival. That's where I was for so many years. Just trying to make it. Just trying the same spirits that attacked my, my suicidal mother attacked me. She tried to do it four times. She had three nervous breakdowns. My father was violent. We were all addicted to something. They died addicted. My brother died addicted. So, you know, I mean, you can tell me about your family. All I can tell you is your, your future don't have to look anything like your past. You, you're, you know, ge- there's something stronger than genetics. It's called the Holy Spirit. And he can work in you and break you free from your crazy relatives. Come on. You get a dictionary, look up dysfunctional. You know, the root word is funk, and it says refer to trochles. <laughs> you have to look at the trochle family. If you want to look at dysfunctional, we were incredibly dysfunctional. So the first part of my life, not just my life, 
as a child, but even my life as a, as a, as a young Christian was just, man, I, I just got to make it to next week. That's okay if that's where you are. I'm not judging you for that. If that's where you are, you got to get the word in you. You got to learn the principles of faith. You got to learn about authority. You got to, you, some of you got to break some of the dumb, dumb friends you keep hanging around. Come on now. But at some point, I promise you, the Holy Spirit is going to break you out of survival mode. And He'll start bringing success into your life. That's what happened with me. I went from a poor, nobody kid from Spring Hill, never had anything, never had nothing. And God blessed me. God blessed me. And you know what almost killed me? Success. Success almost killed me. I almost couldn't break out of it. Because, hey, this ball is rolling. This thing is going. I'm set up the rest of my life. I don't ever have to leave this church. They they got me a double cab, four by four, Chevrolet truck for pastor appreciation. Yeah. (laughs) They paid the taxes. They paid the insurance. They gave me the keys and said, we want you for the rest of your life to be our pastor. I had 80 acres of hardwood to bow hunt. Nobody else on it but me. And God told me to leave. (laughs) Success almost killed me. Success almost killed me. It took me two years to break out of success. Because God was asking me to go to another level. Here's the thing about going to another level. There's never something you won't have to give up. There's no going up without giving up. There's no going up without giving up. And I don't know what God is asking you to give up. But listen, I've been 19 years in Tanzania. I could do that thing now with my eyes closed. It was successful. It was blessed. It was anointed. It was multiplying. There was leaders going all over the nation. I, I went out to the bush, didn't, 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 didn't even know what I was getting into. They asked me to come to a, a leadership conference at a church with a former graduate. I went out there and there was a magnificent building that they were dedicating to me. It's bizarre. Had my name in stone on the building. I didn't even know it. 1,500 people showed up. And that is a 2011 graduate. I said, how many churches have you started since 2011? He's big six foot four guy. Had a voice like Barry White. Some of you young people don't know what that's about. But let me tell you, it's cool. He had a voice like Barry White. He looked down at the ground. He started counting his fingers. He said, 38. Since 2011, he started 38 churches. Come on, somebody. Make you want to stay there. Make you want to keep doing what you're doing. Until the Lord says now. It's time to walk away. Turn it over to them. And walk away. Walk away to what Lord? Just keep walking. You'll find out. Already got four nations lined up. Four nations. We're going to take the Bible college on the, on the road. So to speak. Around the world. Can you say amen? Yeah. What's it going to look like? Have no idea. How much it's going to cost? Whole lot. How much money you got? Not much. (laughs) The third stage 
is when you go from success to significance. Significance is when you absolutely... Listen, humility is not when you think less of yourself and more of others. Humility is when you think less about yourself. You just quit thinking about yourself so much. And you start living your life to impact other people. And that's where I'm at right now. I just want to impact other people. I want to lift up other people. I could care less if anybody ever knows my name. I don't care. I don't care. I've been 19 years under the radar, and I kind of like it. Only the people love me know what's going on in my life. I'm kind of okay with it. And now God's doing a new thing. And the only thing I can tell you is there is a question mark over your life. Whether you know it or not, it's there. When Jesus walked into the temple, listen to me. Jesus walks into the temple. I I don't know how big the temple was. I'm probably thinking it wasn't a mega temple. I'm probably thinking it wasn't some monument. It wasn't some marble slab. I'm probably thinking it was an ordinary room where Jesus walks in and they give him the book of Isaiah. And he sits down and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointing me to preach the gospel to the poor. He goes on to the whole thing, closes the book. He sits down and he says these words. This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ear. Now, I promise you when he did that, nobody shouted amen, hallelujah. Nobody got up, did a Holy Ghost dance. <laughs> I, doubt, I doubt that anybody said anything. Maybe somebody coughed or sneezed. I don't know. But let me tell you what. In heaven, there was a big bang that went off. There was a huge bang. You know what that means? Everything is changed. The Son of God just just announced that He's the Messiah. And nobody even knows it. They're all sitting around going, Well, that's a different message. That's a little different, isn't it? wonder who He's talking about. Huh? God can be doing something and have something for you and you just think it's normal. It's just a normal day. It's just 2022. It's just another year. No, it's not. No, it's not. And if you act like it is, you're missing the boat. Come on, somebody. Things have changed. Now, I know that God calls. I know that God calls. I received a call. I know that God calls. But let's finish this scripture and then I'll close. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 6, the post of the door. Now, look, he says, woe is me, for I'm undone. Now he's in survival mode. He thinks he's going to die. Why? Because of what, what God told Moses. And Isaiah knew it. God told Moses, nobody can see me and live. So he's seen the king, and he thinks he's going to die. Now he's in survival mode. I'm a dead man. For my eyes have seen the king. Now, verse 6. Look at what it says. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which had, which had been taken from the tongs 
from the altar and he touched my mouth with it and he said behold this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged what happened he went from survivor to success now i think it's great that god never thinks your sin is a problem remember what happened with peter peter literally said depart from me get away from me I am a sinful man. That's what Peter thought needs to happen. I'm in the presence of total 100% holiness. I see what I'm not. You got to get away from me. Jesus turns to Peter and says, you just follow me. He didn't even say, you know, your sin is a big problem. He just said, keep following me. I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll make you catch people just like I caught those fish. Isn't it amazing that if you follow Jesus, you're going to end up touching other people? Now, I hear people say this all the time. Oh, I'm in love with Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I know, but Jesus is all about people. And you ain't about people. You don't even like people. So how can you be all about Jesus when you don't care about people? For God so loved the world and you say you got God living in you and you don't love the world. Well, we got to have a missionary. God loves the world. How come you don't love the world? You got God in you. When, When Jesus sees the multitudes, he's moved with compassion. What moves you? What moves you when you see the world? Now listen. Let's, co- let's close with this. Look at this. This is theological. This is a theological nightmare for some people. But let's, let's just look at it. So he does away with his sin. He takes care of his sin. And look at verse 8. Isaiah 6 verse 8. Very powerful. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Now, years ago in the days of the Depression, there was a company that needed somebody to work for them in a position where they knew Morse code. So they put an ad in the paper. And all they said was, if you need a job, come. This is a days of the Depression. People are lined up by the thousands to get a bowl of soup. Nobody has work. But here's a job being offered. So hundreds of people lined up, lined up. And there was a young man leaning up against the wall. He just sitting there minding his own business. They had an intercom in that big in that big building. They had a little gate there that led to the boss's office. And all of a sudden, that young man leaning up against that wall, he just minding his own business. He's sitting there like this, just waiting for his turn to get in. All of a sudden, he just pushes off. He walks in front of all that line, walks straight up to the gate, walks through and walks straight into the boss's office. Two minutes later, the boss comes out and says, all of you can go home. This man has the job. They're all screaming and hollering, unfair, unfair. He broke line. He said, yeah, but while you were talking and laughing and joking, I was tapping out Morse code. And I was saying over the intercom, if you can hear this and understand it, come into my office right now. You got the job. He was sitting over there sorting it out. 
while you were laughing and joking and talking. He heard the call. Now, this is a theological nightmare for some preachers. But I'm telling you, it can be like this. You can be close to God and Him not call you specifically, but you hear a call. When, you, when you're qualified enough to hear a call, you got the job. I had a man in the church when I first started pastoring. I'll leave it with this. He came in every week and told me what was wrong with the church. Every week, this guy's going to come. And every week, when I have an hour, he's going to tell me what's wrong with everybody in the church. He's going to tell me what's wrong with me as a preacher. And he's going to tell me what's wrong and what needs to be fixed. Finally, one day, he came in. And I said, Brother, you know, I don't want you to come to my office anymore because you've only got a seeing anointing. I said, to me, if God's going to anoint you to see it, he should give you the anointing to fix it. So I'm refusing your anointing. I told him that. I'm refusing your anointing from here on because you don't have the anointing to fix it. You just have the anointing to see it. And I got up in the church and I said, no more seeing anointing without doing. If you're anointed to see it, God's anointing you to fix it. Let me tell you what's wrong with the world. <laughs> you ever hear the story about the little boy came home, didn't have nothing to eat. All he found was leftover Limburger cheese. So he ate the Limburger cheese sandwich. Got tired and went to sleep. Huh? Mama's not home. Nobody's home. He wakes up from his nap. He takes it. He said, you know, it stinks in my bedroom. He got up, went to the kitchen. He said, it stinks in here. He went through the whole house. Man, he finally concluded the whole world stinks. Went outside, said, my God, everything outside stinks. His mom was walking home, come up on the sidewalk. He said, Mama, the whole world stinks. She said, no, it don't. You just got Limburger cheese on your lip. <laughs> Some people's attitudes in the church are like Limburger cheese. You just need to do like this. Can you say amen? Listen. There's a call. What did he say? Who will go for us? Put in a blank right there. Who will go for truth? I just talked to a man who was a Methodist. I said, Are, what's your church like? He said, well, we're mostly Methodists, but we're really not Methodists. I said, why are you not Methodists? He said, well, we had to make a decision because of the direction of the Methodist church, and we decided to go a different way. I said, that means you're not ordaining homosexuals to preach the gospel. He said, no, sir. you got to make a decision. Do we love everybody? Yes, we love everybody. Do we put our stamp of approval on everybody's lifestyle? you got to make a decision. Can you say amen? amen? Now, look up at me. What's this in your life? I, don't, I, know, I knew what it was in my life. I can't speak for you. Would you stand up? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what this is? It's an open invitation. Who really wants the power of God in Minden? Who really wants unity in Minden? Who really wants to see the gospel cross racial barriers in Minden? Who wants to see 
the power of God manifested in the gifts of the Spirit in Minden. Who, who, who wants to see the Holy Spirit have his way in church again? Who wants to see God do much, something more than church light? Yeah, yeah. Who's hungry? Who's hungry? Is there anybody hungry? Is there anybody thirsty? Father, right now, I thank you that there's an invitation for us to change. I pray that nobody would take this word in a condemning sense. It's not a condemning message. It's just a call. It's just a call. There's a call. And there's a question mark over churches right now. And it doesn't mean that it has to be 100% of everybody. But there has to be a core of people. A core of people in this church that say, we want God's best for 2022. Come on. How many of you here today and you'd say, I'm ready to get out of survivor mode. Would you lift your hand? I'm ready to get out of survivor mode. Father, right now, I thank you for breaking yokes. You see people right now that their hands are lifted. Everybody goes through struggles. Everybody has things that hit them. Everybody has scars. Everybody has a past. Everybody has struggles. Father, I pray for people that are lifting their hands right now saying, I want out of survival mode. I want out of survivor mode. I want out of me mode. And I'm ready to get into we and us and the kingdom of God and the world. I'm ready for you to expand my boundaries. To go from surviving to success and from success to significance. I want to make an impact. Come on, somebody say amen. I want to make an impact. That you lift your hand up. I want to go from success. Some of you have got success. But now you want to go to significance. That's me. I want to go to significance where I'm impacting people's lives. Thank you, Lord, that you move us from one level to another. That we are changed from one degree of glory to another. Now, whatever that level is, whatever that hand is, wherever that hand is in your life, that thing that's hindering you that's keeping you lord we we lift it right now in jesus name we thank you lord for loosing us from unkind attitudes and loose tongues and loose lips bad habits thank you holy spirit that you set us free whom the sun sets free whom the sun sets free whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Thank you for setting your people free in this place. Free from depression. Free from anxiety. Free from fear. Free from worry. Free. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. How many say I'm receiving right now? Come on, let's worship Him. Would you lift your hands and say, I'm receiving right now. I'm receiving from the Holy Spirit right now.